0: Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, shalom. It's great to be here with my colleague and friend and Chavrusa, Rabbi David Kasher, who is the director of Hadar West Coast. And um,
1: I'm at Harusa now for like, what, 20 years? Almost
0: 20 years, yeah, yeah starting in Israel. And um, I've really been enjoying your your Parsha podcast. Really, it's writing. You're writing about the weekly Parsha for many years, but this 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 year, um, you, you know, all the more so. And many people experience divinity in nature, you know, divinity in relationships and the like. And one of your explorations this year that's been inspiring for so many of us is... Experiencing divinity and language—what an interesting project! But let's take a step back. Um, what has been your relationship, your journey, of your relationship of the divinity of Torah over, you know, over your spiritual life? Right.
1: <laughs> that's like a—it's a—that's a huge topic, yeah. or at least it was. It felt to me like the big topic when I first when i first went off to yeshiva you know like when i was in that environment and you know you're trying to like you're a young man and you're trying to figure out who you are and people are kind of throwing ideas at you and it's you know it's a religious context and you know like maybe you would think that we would talk about like the existence of god but we very rarely talked about that what was like the the critical issue was believing in the divinity of the torah that the torah was from God. That was more important. Than that there, there was a God. Like whatever. You're not. If you don't believe that, you're not even in the conversation. But it was this idea that you had to really believe that the Torah, every word of it, was from God, from God as received by Mount Sosa, by Moses at Mount Sinai, at a certain moment in history. Like everything. You had to believe that thing, or else you were basically out. That was the sort of yeshiva environment that I started in. And then by the time you know like, I got to yeshiva with you, it's like a modern orthodox, like, oh, maybe there's different ways of conceiving of how the Torah comes from God and how the message was shared, but always in the background there's this kind of looming threat of like this other theory, the the critical the, theorist, the documentary hypothesis, this idea that like, no, actually the Torah is not from God and they discovered that it's a historical process or is cobbled together from lots of different sources and edited over, and it's like you sort of, you sort of had to fall on one side or the other of that. I remember feeling like in my early yeshiva days, and it was like really try to believe that the Torah is absolutely true and every word of it is, is from God, or like break down and have to admit to the historians. And like the truth is, I think that was a really big issue once upon a time. And I think over time that dilemma faded because I sort of realized that neither side was really able to prove their case you know what i mean like there is no proof that the torah is from god and there's also like on the other side like these are you know it's a documentary hypothesis like these are theories and um we don't know how the torah was was put together in the most historical sense but meanwhile studying it again and again and reading through it over the years I came like, I, you know, in the midst of all of that debate and trying to figure out where I landed ideologically, it, just the process of studying the Torah itself brought me to a place of feeling like, oh, this is, yes, this is divine in, in a different way, not in a historical or a factual or mathematical way, but a divine in the sense that it's a, it, is, it is the sublime work of art. Like it is the greatest thing, the greatest composition Ever, ever, ever composed, and and I realized that I, you know, I I might think that you know Moses or or, or Bob Dylan, you know, were, were channeling the divine. Why wouldn't I think? Or I said Moses, M- Mozart, <laughs> Mozart, <laughs> and I think Mozart's channeling the divine. Why wouldn't I think Moses was channeling channeling the divine? Just if you have just the mm-hmm. sheer, mm-hmm. the sheer beauty, the sheer um, brilliance, the sheer artistic uh, intricacy that the Torah offers, which has been stimulating enough as to provide, you know, um, constant uh, uh, material for study and reflection for thousands of years. There's something about this book that is so well written that it deserves another read every year. And that in itself, I think over time, um, shifted my perspective on the whole question of whether or not the Torah comes from God. It's clear to me now that the Torah is a thing of God And the the historical questions are so much less important than the the artistic questions. Mm,
0: That's so fascinating, yeah, that if if we experience Mozart or Dylan or other artists as tapping into something beyond the human realm, being able to channel something from beyond, um, some energy, some brilliance, some chidush, some creativity that never existed, um, in some ways that encapsulate brilliance, like... Why would we not, at at the very least, see that within the power of the most popular book in the history of the world?
1: Well, yeah. And like, I just think of Moses as the as the person who channeled God more than anyone else ever has. I mean, Mm -hmm. that that's that is sort of our position in this tradition, that Moses was the ultimate prophet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like. Artistic expression, and artist will sometimes speak of it that way, has a kind of a touch of prophecy to it—that you've been like moved by the spirit to say something, to put something out. And I just think of, you know, M- 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 Moshe as like the the ultimate version of that. Mm. Like, and in that mm. sense, it becomes very easy to believe in the divinity of the Torah. I, I experience it as a mm-hmm. as a work of divine beauty, mm-hmm. and um and and I have this story of this guy who. Yeah who once had this experience and came up with this and that makes sense to me.
0: What's an example of a poetic expression or just any verse in the Torah that feels to you like it conveys that artistic brilliance and beauty Mm -hmm. and power of divinity? Uh,
1: Well, I'll give you one verse. You said any verse and there's a verse right at the beginning of of Sefer of, of of the book of Exodus um just as they're kind of setting the stage um they're you know we're leaving the the family book of, of genesis and we're heading into the kind of people building book of exodus and as those people start to grow the torah of that israel paro the paro b'maod ma'od aratzotam the children of israel were fruitful and swarmed and multiplied and increased very very much and the earth became filled with them so you can pro- like you can probably even hear in the english fruitful and multiply like i've heard that before and 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 yeah you, you use the phrase be fruitful and multiply and it's a direct call back, call back to god, the garden of eden the, the the very first blessing that god gave to people but now it's they were fruitful and they multiplied but they also swarmed so it's and that's also eden language like they were like they were growing rapidly, not just in the regular way. So they, like sort of borrowed from the, the language of the the creeping things which swarm in Genesis. So now they're like, they're growing at an, an alarming rate. Maybe that's part of why um, the Egypt, Pharaoh and the Egyptians saw them as a threat because they were like swarming. You know, you have a feeling of them looking at them like like vermin or something. Um, and then there's the, the doubled, double ma'od ma'od. Like once you're tethered back into the into the creation story so then you're using that language and then you use when you use very very much you're reminded of that of that sixth day of creation when god Mm -hmm. called the person tov oh very good so there's like and now the so that was the original creation those are the original people this is a new creation and the birth of a new people and they will be if if adam and eve were good these people will be very very good and like it's just that sort of textual wordplay like one book calling back to another Mm -hmm. book but reshuffling the words in order Mm -hmm. to to draw from the meaning of the old story but infuse it into a new story it's like that's like that's just one verse but like the level of complexity and sort of cross-referencing and just like just sort of playful brilliant creativity and, um, you know, and it's like verse after verse after verse of mm-hmm. that. But that's that's one that comes to mm-hmm. mind. Very
0: interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know some people don't like religious texts because they fear that, feel that, that sometimes they're not clear enough. What's it stand on this? But I think the power of being able to constantly reinterpret, make those new connections. And through not just ideas, but through language and how language has already been used to be able to make those new meanings. You're, and you've been a master at, at exploring that with us.
1: Well, and, you know, it, yeah. like you say that and it's like, language is after all the the medium through which our tradition says the world is created right it's the medium through which our tradition says God like self reveals at Mount Sinai like what what does God do at Mount Sinai not God doesn't show us an image because that's that's not our religion God speaks God creates words and those words stay with us for, like it's clear from the start that the Torah is interested in language and sees language as a foundational, like a kind of a building block for mm. for all of existence. And so, why wouldn't language be the medium through which we understand that creative force that is God? Mm. And and that's that's sort of what the Torah is there to say: is that you can access the divine through a through a, a, a collection of words, through mm. like through the linguistic medium. You know, like mm. the world can be created this way and you can get back into like the origins and, and the source of that creation through the very words that, that were used to, to create the mm. world. So there's something like about that theology that's sort of like deeply embedded in that. So
0: why, so why language? I mean, you you're a master of English, you're a master of Hebrew, you, you, you speak sign language. I don't know if you said, do you say speak a lot of sign or You, you yeah, sign, you, you sign. Yeah, you sign, yeah. You, uh, you know, I mean, you know, but why? I mean, religion could have said silence. I mean, Torah could have said silence. Mm-hmm. It could have said touch. Mm-hmm. It could have said language is empty, yeah. right? Why, why, why do you think language? And, and, and to build off that, is language adequate? Meaning, is human experience deeper mm-hmm. than, than language can ever convey? Or is language really um, have the full potential to convey the depths of truth.
1: Yeah, I mean, so so that, there's like two questions here and they're both really important, but they're very different answers. I mean, I'll give you the the like, thumbs up language answer, like why language, yes. Um, And I think that, look, it's the thing which um, distinguishes us, at least on some level, you can think of a parrot, but like spoken language is the thing that distinguishes us as creatures you know like when um um when when in the torah uh, adam is created and it says that god um you know the pachba pav god breathed into into our nostrils um nishmat the, the breath of life um uh, uh the uncle's translation there is ruach mamalala, like a spirit of uh of speech you know and it's like that's the we we are speaking creatures that's sort of what is special about us. Yes, there's like our minds and our consciousness, but that's the only way you have access to it is through our speech. So there's a way in which this is the thing which makes us who we are. And so, you know, how, like that that is, that's in some ways definitional. And so it's going to define everything. It's going to find our laws. It's going to find our culture. It's going to find our, our art and it's going to define our spirituality. But I also think, um, I also think that there's something about language that is, the Maharal says says something like this, that language is the, it's the medium which is somewhere between the physical and the spiritual because it, mm-hmm. it's made through a physical organ, mm-hmm. but it becomes something which is, I mean, we know about sound waves now, but it's like almost intangible and then eventually fades. So like mediating between the physical us and the spiritual God, the one thing we share is this like, kind of neither physical, neither Mm -hmm. spiritual thing, which is language. So that's like, those are a lot of the reasons why language becomes the sort of, the the thing that we would use to connect ourselves. Because we are human, and also because, like, there's something about this that's a little beyond, Mm -hmm. beyond the animal part of being human and into the kind of godly. Like, our language is part of what makes us, uh, uh, that imbues us with a touch of, Mm -hmm. of divinity. But I will say that it's also true that, you know, the, the other thing you're suggesting is true yes. also, which is that it's as, <laughs> it's as fundamental to our tradition that language is ultimately insufficient and that language um, is, is, is just a tool, but that the, the, the deepest truths can't even be contained in language and in letters and like that the we we know these names of god and that's as close as we get sometimes we even hesitate Mm -hmm. to speak out a name Mm -hmm. of god um because you know like that's that's getting that's getting very very close to the thing and yet it's not the thing it's not ultimately god is beyond Mm -hmm. language and beyond Mm -hmm. words and so you know we're, we're and so it is with all the not just the names of god but the whole torah is a way of Pointing at something, of like alluding to something, it is much more like a poetic form of expression mm-hmm. than a mm-hmm. textbook kind of expression. Mm-hmm. It's like a way of evoking something that you cannot possibly speak about. Mm-hmm. So you use metaphor and you right. use right. and you use imagery and you use wordplay mm-hmm. and you use you know to try to get at, you know, that even the name of God, and you know you know this, this is like kind of like a a, a kind of a 101 yeah. Hebrew of the Bible thing. But the name that we use for God, which we don't, I'm thinking of it because we don't pronounce it, right? The, the Yud-Heh-Bav-Heh name. Um, we don't pronounce that name. And because we're hesitant to ever fully try to speak out what God is, that in itself is a kind of a powerful thought. But the name itself, if you look at it, is kind of like a mashup of the verb to be. It looks like, like it's, it should be, like the verb to be is Haya, um, it was, Hoveh, it is, and Yehia, it will be. And if you take that for that yud heh he name, it, it sort of looks like all of them together. And there's another way that the Torah is like, and you're not even supposed to pronounce it. You're just supposed to look at it and think about the one who was, is, and will ever be. Mm-hmm. Like that's the name of God in the Torah, is the mm-hmm. one who is, was, and will ever be, but you don't actually say it out loud. And all of that kind of linguistic intricacy, um, creativity, um, playfulness, um, sophistication, like that kind, that level of encoding and embedding is, you know, it's funny. It's like I used to struggle with uh, the questions of like, is the Torah really divine? Does it really come from God? And now I'm like a Bible code guy. Now I'm like, <laughs> like just like I have, I, have, I feel right. like I have unearthed so right, right. many layers of the Torah's artistry and mm-hmm. and sophistication that now my 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 working assumption is you know show me more like there's right. more here right. than right. i have uncovered oh, so i have become a believer you yeah. know yeah. but not in the it's been proven to me right. sense but more in the like i have experienced in the process of mm. of reading and and chanting and learning and going through the story again and again and again mm. that's that's the that's the closest contact i have mm. with god and that's you know that's how i know
0: wow wow so just to pick up on your previous point about the adequacy of language, I feel like I've always thought it was my own weakness of my communication skills, the own, my own lack of intelligence that I just can't communicate and convey what I want to convey over and over, you know, but, um, it is kind of fundamental to language, even though it's our, perhaps our greatest tool. And part of what the Torah can offer people like me, uh, us, is, that language can be used to convey the inadequacy yeah. itself, to convey the wonder beyond what we can't we can't communicate, and so maybe more consistently, rather than being confident in my expressions, I can use my articulations to kind of convey there's something so far beyond that I'm experiencing, beyond what I'm actually communicating to you right now, mm-hmm. and that kind of humility and wonder within our communication process, mm-hmm. and the Torah, like you're doing, is saying, is doing that over and over. But going back to divinity. I'm not going to ask you what your belief of God is. <laughs> um, but what do you mean here by divinity of in Torah? Meaning, God is like the most powerful and the most empty word. It's the most empty because a Hindu, a Protestant, an Orthodox Jew, um, a secular person, they, they literally mean nothing the same mm. when they say the word God. Mm-hmm. But it's also so full because I think it does invoke for us collectively, like... A sense of something mysterious, mysterious beyond us. Yeah. But when you talk about the divinity you encounter, the divinity you experience mm-hmm. within, like when you have a powerful moment of experiencing the language of Torah and how it and how it's interconnected and how it, it's revelatory, like what do you what, what do you think of it in in that type of divinity?
1: Yeah. I mean, look. Thanks for letting me off the hook because yeah. I, you know, like anyone, I would stumbled in trying to actually define my conception of god or my even my experience of god is hard to put into words for all of this talk of language um so I, i'm glad not to have to do that but i do think that what i'm what i am pushing and experiencing myself and trying to share with others is an experience of of studying the torah a uh, uh, experience and i don't even want to say study because that's too intellectual it is intellectual but it's more than that it's experience and experiencing the torah is a kind of it's a spiritual practice you know and like our encounter with these words in this way and maybe you believe me and and and, and you you agree or you agree with me and you think like well, it's because they're perfect words or maybe you just think like no the tradition has developed a kind of discourse that makes it you know, a spiritual experience to study in this way through our, you know, midrashim and, and commentaries and the connections that people have made. But whatever it is, we've created a a kind of a, a spiritual practice, like in the way that some people meditate, we meditate over the Torah and it brings us to a state of mind, a state of consciousness where we are, where I am at least, I will speak for myself, like, more in touch with that central force that is unnameable, right? That's part of what we mean when we say God is one, is that it's all just one underlying thing that is like too big to actually, you know, identify or enumerate. Um, So that's like what Torah is, is a kind of a meditation on on these words and on this language um, in order to achieve a kind of, a kind of meditative state a kind of uh, a higher a higher state of consciousness and i think that anyone who has you know there's a lot there are lots of ways to achieve that state of consciousness there's lots of um, spiritual practices but the case i'm trying to make for the torah is that if you've ever been to a museum and just like stood in awe in front of a painting and felt like a sense of connectedness to some higher force that isn't just about the artist but is about some other thing that the artist has tapped you into like that's what I'm talking about with Torah and I'm talking about it at least my experience is like on the highest level i mm-hmm. encountering a kind of a kind of um, sublime um, beauty and perfection that just makes you think like oh, well this is tapping into something like this is connected to something higher and you don't have to take my word for it like people have been saying that about this particular work of art for thousands of years so it's you know it's worth uh, it's worth a look and it's worth a look i must say uh, you know uh, that's a very lofty note i'll end on a more uh, much more prosaic one which is that you do need some hebrew to appreciate this right. so i want to make a plug for hebrew learning but the, the bad news is you really don't get the beauty of the Torah without Hebrew. The good news is you don't need a lot of Hebrew. You need like a working understanding of the alphabet just so you can go back and forth and like look in the English what it says in the Hebrew and just follow, start following the three-letter w- roots of Hebrew words and it will change your study of the Torah. It will yeah. change your study of the Torah. And I think a lot of us have had this experience where we really grew up and we heard these stories and we read this and maybe we even got to know the Hebrew but it wasn't until we started making these connections mm-hmm. that we started to realize like, oh this isn't just something we have to read because this is our tradition and you know I like these parts and I don't like these parts. But This, we actually have like you know, the Mona Lisa, plus the David, plus the, you know, Starry Starry Night, plus all of the greatest
0: works, mm, of, like mm. the greatest, the greatest, the greatest mm. um, book ever written, you yeah. know? Yeah. So if you're making a plug, I'll also make a plug that if you've never tried Shnai Mikra to consider doing this, and uh, if you're if you reading the Parsha each week and multiple times, maybe even with a commentary, and if you don't want to study it, you could actually read it with a, in a meditative state read the language but in an elevated state of consciousness as opposed to an analytical one or maybe you could do both at the same time i can't mm-hmm.
1: um so uh and, and you're welcome to sign up for my weekly yes, Torah yes at hadar.org <laughs> yes no
0: seriously you should really check but,
1: yeah the maker is probably a better yeah, idea, yeah that's awesome
0: really all right here's, here's my very last question yeah, for you. Yeah. so my very last question for you is how can this translate into our enhancement of a social discourse today which is to say, whether it's a theological commitment of Torah Messinae, Torah Messimayim, whether it's an artistic experiential understanding of the divinity of, of the language of Torah. So, okay, over there, we can study Torah and we can experience that. But in, our, in the language every day we use in our families, mm-hmm. in our workplace, on social media, how might we experience the capacity for language differently mm-hmm. after encountering divinity yeah. of the language of Torah? This is like, this is like
1: sort of back to where we started because it reminds me of some of those, you know, big questions that that, that um, we were asking about, you know, the Torah's not just divinity, but sort of um, um, veracity, legitimacy, like provability as a, as a divine thing. And I think that a lot of those debates that were swirling around in my early yeshiva years were debates that had to do with literalism. That was the idea. Yeah. And what's so crazy is that, like, we were being pushed to believe in a very literal, like, believe in the the, the, the simple, plain, black-and-white truth of the Torah, every word. And the other side also was being trained to think of mm-hmm. religion literally. Yeah. Religion claims the world was created in seven days. Right. We just proved it isn't. The whole thing is <laughs> right, bunk. Right, it's like, right. but once you start to read the Torah, you realize, yeah. like, this is a... The way that this book is using language is so far beyond literalism. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's like not true. It's just it's not true in that sort of simplistic, basic like every word means exactly what you think it means kind mm-hmm. of way. It's like a it's a way of using language to um, to summon something that is um, in, impossible to describe, and yet. You know, this book has done a pretty good job of centering a character who you can never see, who you don't really understand, and yet, like this version, this book's version of that character has been the one that has most imprinted itself on um, on human consciousness. So there's just um, that's a lesson that there is that there is um, there's something foolish about um, reading our 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 our, our spiritual texts the way we would read. Um, um, a, 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 a microwave instruction manual. You know, like it, this is not like just a matter of getting the words right and seeing if they correspond to like I don't know, you know, to, the, your your other textbooks. Like this is an attempt to use language to get somewhere, to to transcend and um,
0: and for and, social discourse today. How does that?
1: well i just think that you know everybody is so deeply attached to their version of the uh, truth i see yeah and they really feel like they have the truth in a binary fashion and i think that like our our religion's relationship to language suggests that like there are truths there are we believe in in truths capital t truths but they are so far beyond us Mm -hmm. and our ability to access them is is something that is is so difficult that sometimes we refrain from even pronouncing the words that we think express mm-hmm. the true thing. Like there's a kind of humility, even as we embrace language, there's a humility in realizing the limits of, of language or any other human capacity to really access the deepest truths. And I think we could use a little more humility on all sides of our cultural spectrum uh, these days.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember, that you can join our email list at valleybatemidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemidrash.org donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.